Hi, and welcome to the session on doing good as a student, trade-offs and project ideas with Claire Zabel. I'm Anjali, and I'll be the MC for this session. We'll start with a 15-minute talk by Claire, and then we'll move on to a live Q&A session where she'll respond to some of your questions. Now, I'd like to introduce our speaker for this session. Claire Zabel is a program officer at Open Philanthropy, leading their grant-making and effective altruism and contributing to their grant-making on global catastrophic risks. Claire's job is to figure out which opportunities for open fill to spend money have the highest expected value per dollar in terms of increasing the chances that the long-term trajectory of civilization goes as well as possible and to help those opportunities come to exist. She's also a trustee of the Center for Effective Altruism. Here's Claire. Hello, my name is Claire and I want to talk to you today about different ways that I think students can have a really big impact um, and the different strategies and trade-offs they face in doing that. So first, a little bit about me. Uh, I learned about EA during university, and I started going to the Stanford EA student group meetings when I was there. Uh, when I graduated, I joined GiveWell as a research analyst, um, and I started doing a variety of projects at Open Philanthropy. This was back when OpenPhil and GiveWell were still part of the same organization. Um, and recently, I do EA and other kinds of long-termist grant-making at OpenPhil. Um, and I decided I wanted to give this talk because I was just thinking about um, my time as a student and the time of uh, other people I talked to, other EAs, and how I think it could have gone better. And uh, I decided I wanted to give the talk that I wish that someone had given to me. Um, so I wanna talk about several different strategies that I think you can take as a student um, to try to have a big impact. Um, I don't talk about all of them. I think there's a bunch more, but um, I think that these are some of the kind of common ones. Um, and then I'm gonna like focus a little bit more on how to have a direct impact as a student. Uh, I think all of the different strategies have merit and some of them, they're all the right strategy for, for some people as a dominant strategy. And then I also think you shouldn't just focus on one, but a lot of people should kind of focus on one or a few instead of maybe kind of doing a, a default uh, path where you sort of try to do a little bit of everything. Um, or just focus on the one that uh, your parents or your friends have done or recommend without critically thinking about whether that's right for someone with your goals and your skills and your interests. Uh, what I'm going to say is somewhat less relevant for graduate students. Sorry about that. Um, it's because I think some of the strategy questions are more baked into the choice of what um, grad degree to choose and whether to even choose a grad degree, whereas I think with undergrads, um, there's a lot more different kind of live options that, that they might be thinking through. Finally, these are just my personal thoughts. Um, they're not Open Phil's thoughts in particular. Um, they're based mostly on my experience and that of other undergrads in the United States. So there might kind of be all kinds of um, biases there, the pieces of information I'm, I'm missing. So please take this all lightly um, and please think about it and how much it applies for your own situation. So first uh, strategy for student that I want to discuss is pursuing knowledge and understanding. That's the one that I kind of think of as the sort of um, default way you might think about university and the thing that universities maybe nominally for becoming more knowledgeable about the world, becoming an educated person, um, pursuing deep questions about uh, reality and existence and history and science. I think that this is mostly a good option for people who might want to do this in the long term. Um, and those people might want to do things like make sure that they have really firm foundations in their field, take challenging classes where they're pushed to learn more and more, to learn complicated methodologies um, and advance in the field. Um, and then they might want to also spend time trying out research itself, not just taking classes. I think this is most likely to be a fit for people who have, who tend to be the kind of people 
um, who realize that they have research questions they really want to get to the bottom of and maybe, for example, find themselves pursuing those questions in their spare time. I think that's um, a correlate of being the kind of person who might be a really strong researcher and might uh, find research really rewarding. Um, so yeah, I think those are the kind of people who should focus really on kind of gaining knowledge, particularly in an area they're interested in um, and might want to stay in for the long haul and um, push themselves really hard when they're doing that. Uh, I think the a main downside of this is that there's less option value if you sort of pursue one area or even go to grad school in it and then you decide that it's not for you. Um, that just might not translate as well to, to other options. Oh, and I scattered in some pictures of myself uh, doing something that was representative of different strategies when I was an undergrad um, because I did do kind of the little of the uh, do a little bit of everything strategy, which I don't think is optimal. Another strategy is accrue prestige. Um, so I think uh, this, this one is maybe one that would get a bad rap, um, but I think it's actually like a, a fairly good one for a lot of people. The way I see this one is you sort of try to get good grades, you try to do impressive seeming things, and often things seem impressive because they are at least somewhat impressive. Um, it requires a lot of organization and conscientiousness, um, and uh, you might learn a lot from that. You learn a lot about sort of juggling things and being a professional person who doesn't drop responsibilities. Um, and I think people sort of rightly are somewhat attracted to that, and I think it rightly gives a lot of option value. Um, I think it's particularly good for people who want to go into an area where sort of generic prestige is quite helpful um, and who enjoy playing the game and, and sort of responding to social incentives in this way. Um, the downsides are I think it can be pretty hard to, to um, know if it's not working. Um, I think you can become kind of incentivized to, to keep going down that path and to crave that social reward and crave the feeling of admiration. And it can be hard to sort of say to yourself, this isn't working. I want to do something that people maybe won't like as much or that won't get me as much prestige. Um, and you might also sort of be uh, incentivized to not listen to yourself when you have feelings of boredom or um, lack of interest in the topic because you are generally required to kind of push through that a bit to, in order to um, do well in this strategy. And, and then finally, it can be tiring and lead to burnout pretty easily, I think. Um, another strategy is that I think is less frequently considered is get out of there. So, you know, there's great reasons to get a university degree. It opens up a lot of different options to you, but maybe you should try to get it as fast as possible. I think if you try to do that, um, take easy classes, you might be able to potentially get a degree a year faster. Um, this is one that uh, I probably is the one I wish I had done because um, I think I could have just joined GiveWell a year earlier and basically uh, had that be just as good throughout my life. Um, and I would just sort of be a year ahead of where I am right now. And that would be really nice. Um, so, but I think for a lot of people, you know, the other strategies feed more into the kinds of things they want to do in the long run. Um, but yeah, some people want to pursue strategies where uh, you, the stuff you learn at university just doesn't help that much. Um, and it's good to recognize that and be aware of it, especially if you have good fallback plans, you have easy to demonstrate skills, or you just hate being at university. I know a lot of people who really don't enjoy their time at university. It, feels competitive, it's very fast paced, things change all the time, you kind of have to sit and listen to people a lot and they prefer doing things and um, uh, it can be just pretty valuable to, to uh, move on to a different phase of life quickly. Um, and then finally, I wanna talk about having a direct impact as a student. Um, so it might seem a bit odd to think about that because you know, you're so young, uh, maybe you have an instinct that you should try to um, 
set yourself up well for success later rather than try and optimize for six success uh, and impact now. And I think that's like a really good instinct to listen to. And I put a lot of weight on it, but I do think that there's uh, important things pushing in the opposite direction. So, you know, first of all, I think often the best way to do something uh, well is to practice it a lot. And um, it can be a little bit risky to say, oh, I really want to have a really big influence um, and I want to have a lot of direct impact. um, And I'm going to set myself up to have a ton of that, you know, 20 years from now, um, because you might just like not realize that actually doing that required different skills or different credentials or, diff, um, you know, the ability to come different, overcome different challenges than the ones you thought. And now you spend kind of, you know, a long time not, not uh, doing exactly what you needed to be doing. Um, and then secondarily, I think that actually students are, are kind of almost strangely well positioned to have an impact uh, in certain respects, mostly because of their access to um, fellow students and professors. So fellow students are this big body of people who are often smart and open-minded and they're at the stage in life where they're really open to new ideas. Um, and you have really, you know, a lot of social and geographical proximity to them and a great ability to, uh, work with them and engage with them. Um, same with professors. They're some of the smartest and most knowledgeable people in their, in the world, um, and in their areas. And, um, you have a lot of access to them as a student that you might not have after you graduate. It's very hard to replicate that. Yeah, so I think the, an obvious path to impact is organizing student groups really well. Um, this, I think, is uh, sometimes a little bit uh, underrated, even though I think people are starting to catch on about how important it is. Um, but like we did a survey of a subset of people that OpenPhil thinks they're doing really promising work and asked them a variety of questions. But one of them is, what factors really helped increase your um, positive expected impact? What helped you become the kind of person who can do a lot of good in the world? And the most frequently listed factor was EA groups, including student groups. Um, They're not limited to student groups. So um, I think student groups are just extremely important and formative for a lot of people. And as a student, you can help make student groups great and help them engage more people. Um, Or you can engage students in different ways. I think there are a lot of options. I list a few, um, like teaching a class or running a different group. I don't think everything needs to be about EA, Um, inviting interesting speakers to campus and just exposing people to a lot of important ideas that are related to doing good in the world. Um, And you can work with professors as well as a student. Um, So I know that some students have inspired professors to teach classes about relevant topics, Um, you know, the Stanford EA students engage with two professors, Steve Luby and Paul Edwards, to create this um, summer fellowship program. I think that's a great example of collaborating with professors and using your position as a student um, to both uh, benefit from professors' greater knowledge, greater status, greater experience in the world, um, and then also sort of um, cause something to happen um, via being willing to help them out with an important project. And then I think there's other ways that students can have a huge impact as well. I list a few here, a few different options. I think this is sort of not the kind of list where it would be good if you just thought, well, here are the options and let me think about which one is the best for me. I think that these are the product of folks thinking really carefully about what is a good fit for them and what they really want to do um, and being clever about it and then pulling it off. um, And uh, a better sort of, the thing I would hope you take from that list is more like um, there are many options. Um, Students have, have, many times succeeded at doing really impactful things. And um, I can do that too, perhaps. Um, Or perhaps it's better for me to take one of the other strategies that don't focus as much on direct impact right now. Um, But yeah, I think that there's a lot of great options out there. Um, Everything from doing impactful research to trying to uh, engage uh, people in effective charity, um, 
doing forecasting, teaching younger folks, even starting an organization. I think that one's pretty hard as a student, but um, definitely there's, there's some folks who, who are good fits for it, and I don't think you want to rule it out. Um, finally, uh, I'm enthusiastic about students trying to have a direct impact, but please be careful when you do it. First impressions are really sticky. Um, and if you're doing outreach in particular, you're going to be responsible for a lot of people's first impressions about EA or about whatever other really important topic you're talking about. And you obviously want those impressions to be really positive ones rather than really negative ones. Um, so I think this is an area where you can do harm. Um, I think a way to minimize that is to uh, seek feedback from trusted friends and advisors um, and seek it not just sort of... Um, I think sometimes people sort of go through a checklist and they're like, oh, I should ask for feedback from people and they do that, but they don't necessarily kind of set up the conditions for someone to, to feel comfortable giving them negative feedback. Um, and so I think you really want to ask yourself if, if what I'm doing is wrong, uh, if it's not a good fit, if it might be harmful, have I done what I need to do to um, increase the, make it pretty likely that people will feel comfortable telling me that um, and bringing that to my attention. Uh, and if not, that might be something you want to focus on. Also really great, there's more and more resources for people to try to uh, avoid downside risk and um, you know when they're trying to do good. CEA has a bunch of those resources and other group organizers do too. Um, so I think seeking those out and making sure that you kind of um, have become aware of the pitfalls of the kind of projects that you're trying to do is really important. Um, and it's really awesome that people are making more uh, resources available for that. You know, unfortunately you will make mistakes um, and some of them will be uh, ones that do harm in the world. And um, I've made those kinds of mistakes. I think probably every speaker at the summit has, um, and it's inevitable. Uh, and it's always hard to talk about because, you know, the fact that it's inevitable doesn't mean you shouldn't try to avoid it as much as possible. Um, but also you should realize that people, I think everyone understands that these kinds of things happen um, and understands that it's part of trying to be a good active person going out and trying to change the world. Um, and people will, um, forgive you especially and, and get see past it, especially if they see that you kind of made a good faith effort and did common sense things to try to mitigate risk. Um, and even if you didn't, you know, when you're young, you make mistakes and that's part of learning. So um, try to avoid mistakes, realize they'll happen and it's not the end of the world, hopefully. Finally, next steps. Um, you're all different, so I don't know what you should do, but I think you should be thinking about um, things about career paths, things you read on the 80,000 hours websites, and then sort of um, looking at what you're doing as a student and thinking about whether you're setting yourself up for success um, for something that's a fit with your, your interests and your skills and your personality, as well as the path that you're interested in. Um, and always think critically about whether you really know why you're doing what you're doing, um, whether you sort of like accidentally started doing something just because everyone else was doing it, or you started doing it and you forgot why and you don't realize it doesn't make sense anymore. Um, or are you thinking critically and is it still on uh, the critical path to you doing a lot of good in the world? Um, and I think if you do those things, then there's a good chance you'll make the most of your time as a student um, and hopefully help the world a lot in the course of that or when you graduate. Either way, thanks so much. Thanks for that great talk, Claire. Um, so we have a few questions that have been submitted already. Um, and I'd actually like to start by expanding on some of the key points that you covered in your talk. Um, so first, you talked a little bit about your own career path and trajectory. Um, can you expand on that a little bit? What are some of the decisions you made while, you know, choosing your career that you think were good? And what would you have changed in hindsight? Yeah, thanks, Anjali. Uh, so one of the reasons I was motivated to do this talk, like I mentioned, is because I wasn't entirely satisfied with my own approach to student life. I think 
um, I would most, I would best be described by kind of the uh, approach of doing a little bit of everything, um, which um, I think is like the default for a lot of people. Uh, and basically I feel like I, because of that, I didn't learn as much in college as would have been helpful. And I also didn't do as much to make myself sort of, um, look good to more credential centric employers. Luckily I ended up, um, finding my way to a role where, um, uh, I think people weren't as focused on that. And, um, it was just like very early on at GiveWell. And so there was a lot of room for a lot of different kinds of people. Um, and, uh, so that's been really, really great. Um, and then I guess since since I graduated from uh, university, I have basically taken what I guess would be the sort of direct impact focused approach where I don't think my current trajectory is very good um, for either causing me to learn a lot about a lot of fields. It's sort of like a very um, scattered approach to learning grant making is because you just learn about lots of different people's projects in, in a relatively superficial way um, with occasional moments of depth. And uh, also, you know, it's a sort of uh, maybe like odd enough job that I, I don't know how um, prestigious it would seem to most employers, but I'm satisfied with the impact that I'm having. And um, overall, I'm, I'm glad that I'm doing that instead of trying to like balance having an impact with doing something that looks good on a resume and with other things. That kind of leads into my next question, which is how important is personal fit when it comes to making, you know, career decisions, um, especially in EA. Um, I think a lot of people can kind of hear this messaging of going into the most high uh, impact field or problem? And how do you think this should trade off against questions of whether a career or role should be right for them? Uh, in general, I, I, I would like to see the EA community take personal fit more seriously. Um, I've seen a lot of people either kind of like burn out or just seem to not realize that they have a really important skill because it doesn't fit in a sort of cookie cap cutter cut and paste way into um, a path that 80,000 hours talks about or something like that. Um, and then I think we lose a lot of value. The way I kind of think about it is like use EA to choose the cause area, but then think about personal fit to understand what you should do in the cause area um, and try to find something that you're really excited about or from between a few different potentially really impactful cause areas. Right. So you're definitely in the camp of emphasizing personal fit a lot more. Yeah. Although I wouldn't go so far to say as something like, you know, just follow your passion. I think I would say something like, right. There's so many ways to contribute to the most important causes. It's good to find one you'll be really excellent at and motivated by, but also there's a huge difference between causes. And so, um, you know, that's why I sort of use EA for cause area selection. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so we have a couple of questions about, you know, um, courses and training in school. So one person asks, how worthwhile are online free courses rather than university classes for exploration and gaining knowledge? Um, I think I unfortunately don't know the answer to that I've actually, I've never taken an online course. Um, I would guess online courses, uh, vary a lot and that some of them are probably really excellent for learning potentially better than in-person courses. And certainly some of the stresses of a in-person course are relieved. For example, you maybe with some of them, you can kind of take them on your own schedule and so on and, you know, take the time you need with each part of the material, but it doesn't have the same prestige value as having it be part of your degree, presumably. Um, although I, I know some kind of online course credits, you know, are affiliated with the university. So, so it could do okay on that front. Um, so I don't think I have like a, a very useful answer to that, but it seems potentially worthwhile for folks who, uh, especially for people who find that the sort of university schedule isn't a good fit for their learning. We also have a question from a grad student who says, um, for graduate school, how should we weigh the trade-off between working on a high impact project versus getting the best training possible? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think annoyingly, there's like no no kind of one answer to that. Um, I think it depends a lot on the person. Um, I think if you're the kind of person, basically, I would say the same thing I said in the rest of my talk, where I think it's kind of good to like 
mostly go with one or the other, although um, sometimes they mesh well, or sometimes, you know, you feel really burned out about doing your research once you've spent the first 40 hours a week and you actually feel like you have a lot of energy to do something else 20 hours a week or something. Um, But kind of barring that, I would say like, some people can probably have a huge impact when they're in grad school by focusing on that directly. And other people don't have as much of that opportunity. And it depends on what your long-term goals are and depends on having a lot of self-awareness about who you are and what you're motivated by and what options are open to you. Um, unfortunately, I wish there was a simple answer. That's just my opinion. No, that, that's still very helpful. Um, for our, our last couple of minutes, um, I think there's several questions kind of coming in on this topic of EA student groups, which I think you also kind of emphasized in your presentation. Um, mm-hmm. So a couple of questions are asking, you know, what would you recommend to students at universities where there aren't um, local EA chapters yet? Do you have any tips for how to get that started? Um, and kind of similarly, um, are there specific, specific examples of things you think EA groups have been especially effective at doing or in, you know, your own experience at Stanford EA, what types of activities have you found particularly helpful or insightful? Yeah. Um, so the obvious answer, the overly flippant one to what should I do if there's no student group at my university is star one. Um, I think also many people are not a good fit for starting one and that's, that's okay. Um, other things you can do are things like inviting speakers to campus or, um, just sort of like having a very low key group with your friends. That's, um, not, not trying to expand quickly or, um, you know, weaving EA into a, uh, into an existing course. If you're a TA or if you have a close friendship with a professor, um, so, you know, I think there's a lot you can do to kind of get back. And if you just meant like, how can you get involved personally, um, with EA, I know that there's a lot of online resources, um, for people. If there's another nearby university, you know, when I was at Stanford EA, we had people who were not even at the university come to our group sometimes because there was no other group nearby. Um, so I wouldn't rule out things like that though. I don't think it's a fit for all groups because some are more strictly focused on just people who are at the university and others are a little, uh, a little broader, um, yeah, or like trying to do things like go to EA Global, going to events like this one to meet people and um, just like increase your your knowledge and keep thinking about how to have a really big impact. Um, oh, and then you asked something like, what was... Um, I, I was also just asking about um, kind of specific examples of groups, but I think you kind of covered that. In, yeah. Yeah, in your question. Um, okay, well, so that's all the time we have for um, this session. Thanks again so much to Claire and thanks to our viewers for watching. Thanks again.